Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. been selected for something special and um, don't expect to hear from me for a few days and you're not to tell anyone and we are creating a cover for you whilst you're away so he, he was really trying to play the role of the generous benefactor he certainly didn't come across as a sort of hard-nosed <laughs> hard-nosed villain but the intercept had to take place within Hong Kong waters. Got a, you know, an undercover narcotics bureau agent on our boat and uh, taking him out for a sail. Um, and I was told, right, tonight's your last night ashore. Go and have a, a great run ashore, see all your girlfriends and be back here first thing tomorrow morning, ready to go. Catching Worms, a Hong Kong true crime podcast. August 1988. A boat had docked in Hong Kong Harbour. The yacht had made the four-day sailing from Manila and was stopping in Hong Kong to crew up to make a full six-week voyage down to Australia. It was also there to pick up an undisclosed cargo. The boat was skippered by John Bridges and as he was suspicious of what that cargo might be, he had alerted the Australian consulate in Manila who in turn had notified the Narcotics Bureau of the Royal Hong Kong Police. John had met with undercover officers Rod Mason and Bill Renwick and agreed to act as their informant, but he needed their support. So the team had come up with a plan. Undercover officers would be hired to be deckhands aboard the yacht. Whilst Rod was assembling the crew to man the boat, they also needed to think through every step of the sting. They needed to find someone who could help intercept the yacht out at sea. They couldn't just storm the boat in the port. This was an undercover operation and they didn't want it to get out that they had arrested the smugglers. The Narcotics Bureau was looking at the bigger picture, thinking ahead, hoping that these drugs would lead them to the importers in Sydney. Therefore, they had to keep the bust a complete secret. They needed someone to intercept the yacht attempting to leave Hong Kong waters, but far enough out to sea that the operation couldn't be seen from land. 
Les Bird joined the Royal Hong Kong Police in 1976. After leaving school at the age of 19, he went in search of warmer climes and got bitten by the travel bug. Upon his return to the UK, in the midst of the recession, his cold and windy native shores offered few prospects. By contrast, Hong Kong had the allure of adventure, a different culture, danger. With naval history in his family, he was drawn to the Marine Police Division. I was put immediately onto one of the command launches, which is the biggest launch, so I could work under a chief inspector and learn learn the ropes. That was the idea. And the the type of boat uh, the command launch would work for three days. It would go out to sea for three days and not come back. Um, and uh, then it would come back in and you would change duty and I, I would then have three days off. So it was a three day on three day off cycle. So you'd be at sea for three days um, and, and then you come back. So, and, and what, what the, the biggest problem for Marine those days was illegal, illegal immigration. There was a lot, it was the end of the cultural revolution, you know, that was 1960s, but people were still leaving China in, in large numbers or trying to come into Hong Kong in large numbers across the land border which was now reinforced and they had the Gurkhas and the police there. Um, so people were trying to cross the bays and the inlets uh, on both on the east and west of Hong Kong um, and, and trying to come uh, either by boat or, or some of them actually tried to swim. Probably about the same age as me in their early twenties, most of the illegal immigrants were kids sort of ranging from about sort of late teens to mid twenties. Most of them were couples who were trying to make a break for it and make a new life. And I used to think when, when we used to, we, we used to pull them out of the water and within 24 hours they'd be sent back, you know, which was a bit of an odd dynamic for me because I, at the same age, I'd come to Hong Kong to start a new life. And they, my first job was to stop other people doing exactly the same as what I'd done. In the years that followed, Les's role as a Marine police officer offered all the adventures he was looking for from commanding a remote outpost on the island of Lantau to engaging with pirates and intercepting ghost ships. So, by 1988, at the time of Operation Clinker, Les Bird was a seasoned marine police officer used to policing some of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. As an experienced marine police officer, Les Bird was called upon. So, so when did you first hear about Operation Clinker? When do you remember the day that they said, "Hi, Les, I've got a job for you"? Yeah, it, it did. It happened like that. Um, I was the command. I was a chief inspector at that time, and I was the commanding officer of the fast pursuit unit. And I got a phone call from the head of the Marine Police, and he said, um, "You're you've been chosen. <laughs> you've been selected from a cast of thousands." Um, um, to do a special duty with Narcotics Bureau. And I said, okay. And he said, what I want you to do right now is go down to police headquarters because I was at a forward operating base in the Northern New Territories. I want you to go down to police headquarters and report to the director of narcotics, not the Narcotics Bureau. Um, and he will brief you on what it is. And you're not to tell anyone. Um, you go down in civilian clothes, don't go in uniform. Um, and you'll find out what it is. And we are creating a cover for you whilst you're away. Away from his day job in the Marine Police, but also away from his friends and family. What did your What did your wife think about you suddenly going off and doing an undercover job? Well, she didn't know. Someone had to phone her and tell her that I'd been selected for something special and um, 
don't expect to hear from me for a few days. Uh, you, you know, it, it was, it was, I want to say it was normal. It wasn't normal. Um, she, she often used to get worried, but uh, um, it was part of the job. So she just accepted it. As an experienced officer, this wasn't the first time Les Bird had worked undercover. I'd spent six months um, as the uh, commanding officer of uh, the Carolyn Special Duty Unit, which was an undercover job, um, mainly focusing on um, busting gambling dens and um, organised prostitution. So I, I did that in Moncock and Yamati for six months. So that was undercover. Uh, so I'd got, I'd got sort of that experience. But not all the team were as seasoned as Rod and Les. Bill Renwick was a new recruit, having only been out of training school for a few months. So for him, undercover work was a completely new world. Yeah, I'd never done anything like this before, so I was uh, just so nervous of, of just slipping up, just saying the wrong thing. It just could take a momentary slip of the tongue and uh, the whole thing is suddenly thrown into suspicion and then, uh, you know, it would be an uphill battle to kind of gain that, uh, that advantage again. Bill's ability to keep to his cover story was put to the test at the first meeting in the Spaghetti House. Across the table was the key suspect, Roberto, and they had to convince him to hire the full crew of undercover officers. It was easier than Bill expected. Uh, certainly in the evening where we all met, he was, uh, he was doing quite a lot of talking. Um, which in a way surprised me. I kind of, again, was expecting to be uh, be grilled a bit, you know, and get a bit of the Spanish Inquisition. But he was, seemed to be, uh, you know, quite happy to talk a lot as well. Roberto clearly didn't really know much about sailing or, or what was involved in an ocean voyage at all. And so I think he was sort of, you know, when he, when he came across the fact that Rod clearly knew what he was talking about and had this experience, um, that really you know, made it a lot easier for us, I think, to, to get accepted and because he, he sort of needed us, really. I asked Rod and Bill their first impressions of Roberto. Quite shifty. Um, clearly, he held the purse strings. He was very desperate to demonstrate that he was in charge financially. So, for example, when it came to leaving the spaghetti house, he wouldn't hear anybody would contribute for the beers or, or the pizza that we'd eaten. He was in charge. He wanted to pay for it all. And he said things like, uh, I'd mentioned something about smoking cigarettes. And so he would be, oh, don't worry, I'll buy all the cigarettes and we'll store them on board. So he, he was really trying to play the role of the generous benefactor. Uh, Roberto was an interesting one because I, I just... Again, he, he just seemed a bit kind of um, like quite a sort of nice Filipino chap. He was a little bit uh, prone to sort of um, bigging himself up and blowing his own trumpet. Um, but generally he seemed just, yeah, quite a quite a sort of nice chap. He certainly didn't come across as a sort of hard-nosed, <laughs> hard-nosed villain. Uh, not particularly tall, um, not well built i would call him a little bit thin a bit maybe you could call him a bit wiry he was in his late 40s early 50s um dressed in what i would say is a fairly traditional filipino style 
collared shirt that buttons down the front with embroidery down each side. So at this stage, you didn't. There was no physical threat from him. You didn't feel like he he would be a physical threat. No, correct. And we also had a support officer in the spaghetti house um, who was a very large Chinese sergeant um, who basically met all four of us as the good guys and just been told, if anything goes wrong and we cause a fuss, then you stand up, reveal your police identity and if necessary, pull out a firearm. That backup would only be needed if the team couldn't keep their stories straight. Stories that have become so ingrained in their memories that over 30 years later, Bill can still remember his. So mine, as probably most of the best cover stories are, wasn't too far away from the truth. So I uh, was fairly fresh out of school, sort of traveling. My parents lived in Hong Kong and sailed a bit. I'd been over visiting them and uh, doing a bit of sailing with them, but I wanted to carry on uh, traveling and wanted to head on to wherever I could go. And uh, when I'd heard about this chance of sailing down to Australia, that was... um, That's what's uh, really appealed to me. Each cover story had an element of truth, but they had to hold up to questioning and investigation. What if someone was checking them out? Uh, But I'd moved up to stay with my parents during during this time to, again, to maintain the cover story. And they were up on the peak at that point. And my little brother, who's uh, he's 13 years younger than me, and uh, I remember he had to be briefed on what would happen if someone uh, someone rang and sort of what, why was I at home? And, you know, he had to be told, no, the, the story is that, you know, I'm traveling. And you know, so he had to be briefed on all that just in case he answered the phone and gave anything away, which uh, he thought this was all tremendously exciting. In a way, Bill's entire family became part of the undercover team and even helped Rod brush up on his sailing skills. Again, all part of the cover story, um, Rod and I went off and did some sailing uh, with my parents. We went over to Macau. So, yeah, which was uh, which was great fun. Of course, they they thought, wow, this is so exciting. We've got a you know an undercover narcotics bureau agent on our boat and uh, taking him out for a sail. So, um, yeah, it was all very, very new and very exciting for all of us. The team had impressed Roberto enough that he hired them all on the spot. But there was still a fair amount to do to convincingly get ready for a six-week oceanic sailing voyage. And it made sense that the prep work aboard the boat would be tasked to the most experienced undercover narcotics inspector. Rod was definitely in the role of um, the most experienced uh, most experienced sailor. And, you know, he'd, even, he'd been in the Merchant Navy, so he had a, a lot more qualifications and experience than me. And so any of the prep work, um, sort of helping load up the boat or move it, things like that, that, that sort of fell to Rod and didn't, we didn't really need to be involved. Uh, I would go to the boat and we were doing general maintenance. Um, I was also told that the fresh water tanks uh, had sprung a leak So I had to go and buy plastic jerry cans, which I did. I ended up buying about 20 in a couple of trips. And then I would splice a sort of one metre length of rope onto the jerry can 
which is forming a loop and then binding the rope back into itself so that it's secure, so that the jerry cans could be tied around the decking uh, on the Wii to put fresh water into. The Wii, as in yes in French, was the yacht that John had purchased in Manila for this epic voyage across the South China Seas. But for the team of undercover officers, this was the location of Operation Clinker. Rod explains the boat's layout. On, on the, main, the main deck's fairly flat, and then towards the, the aft, the rear, there was a cockpit that you could then sit down in, which was all around the helm and the uh, controls for the engine. And from there, you could descend through a galleyway into the main cabin. Um, the main cabin had, on the port side, a galley for food preparation. On the starboard side was sort of navigation, equipment, the chart table, things like that. Up ahead uh, in the forecastle was a, a small cabin which, because of the shape of the boat, had a V-shaped bunks. The main cabin had a bunk around the dining table and another one down the starboard side. And then in the stern behind the main cabin was what I guess you'd call the owner's cabin, which had a large double bed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So this was a fairly tight layout for six adults to live for six weeks. But Rod had thought through the sleeping arrangements. Yes, Roberta had taken over the main one. Uh, John was kipping in the main cabin. So basically, the four of us, we had worked out we would have to hot bunk. We wouldn't have a bunk that would just be ours and ours alone. We wouldn't all there would be no more than two people sleeping at any one time, so we would just share bunks. It's funny the way he talks about it. It's as if the cover story is so real that all the practical elements really had to be considered and prepped for, even down to where each member of the crew would sleep. 
though in reality, the team of undercover officers weren't planning to spend even one full night aboard the boat. So um, in that preparation week, um, you got to know Roberto a little bit better. Did, did you like him? Was he likeable? He was quite grumpy. Um, I would try and sort of um, chum up to him. He was always very interested in any girls that I met. And so I started playing up on that as a story, just making up nonsense about, you know, some great woman that I'd met in a bar and I was going to be seeing her tomorrow night. So I basically had to get away at five o'clock to go to my mate's house and get showered up and do my best. And the next day he then asked me about, you know, my success rate and all this sort of stuff. So that was played on by me because it was something that he was interested in that I hadn't really had to work on to generate. So I just made up complete and utter nonsense and told him that. Was there ever a moment that you thought your cover was blown, that you thought he knows something? Yes, yes, there was. Fortunately, not uh, too early. And then after we'd been in the Aberdeen Marina Club for a couple of days, we moved down to um, Stanley and anchored in Stanley off St Stephen's Beach. And that was supposedly our final move before departure for Australia. Um, And I was told, right, tonight's your last night ashore. Go and have a a great run ashore, see all your girlfriends, and be back here first thing tomorrow morning, ready to go. So Roberto and I uh, were taken to um, the main beach in Stanley, where the Smugglers Inn is located. Got ashore at the beach there and climbed up the steps. And as I came to the top of the steps, I saw standing outside the smugglers uh, where they had a couple of big sort of um, whiskey barrel type tables, a group of off-duty police officers. And one of them saw me and shouted, Hi, Rod. And I raised my hand and just waved and immediately turned and walked away. And Roberto said, Who was that? And so just hoping that they wouldn't follow, I just went, oh, some guy I met in a bar the other night, I think I owe him money. So uh, if you don't mind, can we keep walking? I don't really want to see him. And Roberto just accepted that and off we went. But it made me think I I was kind of pleased that I was using my name Rod and not calling myself Steve or something. A close shave for Rod. But the rest of the crew had tried to keep themselves out of harm's way. We also thought the less we are moving in and out and going to the to the boat or, or meeting up with Roberto or John, the better, really, because there's always the chance of being tailed back away. Uh, and, and, you know, that's quite uh, a concern if we were tailed back to somewhere that um, gave away our identity. Places like the police headquarters. This operation had become a top priority. It it wasn't just the undercover operatives and my time, but they'd been under 24-hour surveillance since they arrived in Hong Kong. 24-hour surveillance is quite a lot of people, um, and that's not cheap. This surveillance was key. The narcotics department needed to be sure the drugs were on board before their officers set sail. 
I mean, the, the yacht itself was kept under um, static surveillance all night with people using infrared to watch activities on board. Um, Roberto and John went off and drove into Chimsa Choi where they met another guy who actually turned out to be the main supplier of the heroin. They met him and they were then driven back in his car to St. Stephen's Beach where they were joined by a third guy who was a very stocky, strong, muscled kind of triad kung fu fighter who was introduced um, and we worked out well he was the bodyguard for the drugs. So they got back to the weird about I think it was something like 4am and they went aboard and there were then lights on board the Wii for the next two hours. So surveillance said something's going on. There's a lot of activity instead of people going to bed. That night, there was a lot of activity and they strongly believed the drugs were being loaded onto the boat. So we're back where we started this episode. Back to Les Bird, the experienced Marine police officer who received the call to be part of the boat tasked with intercepting the Wii. And the drugs had already arrived in Hong Kong and they were under surveillance. So that's what that's the state of play when I when I was called in. And I was told that they believed that they were going to put these drugs on a boat and send them down to Australia, where they would be where the drugs would be distributed on the streets of Sydney uh, by the triad gang at the other end um and the plan was to intercept this ship the 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 yacht as it was leaving hong kong so that the the guys in hong kong didn't know and then substituted everything the boat the, the drugs and and then carry on with the undercover operation all the way down to sydney and then hopefully arrest everybody down there so i came in the week that they were suspecting that the drugs were going to be moved by boat from Hong Kong. That was the plan. Next, Les was presented with the boat he had to use to undertake the mission. And I said later on, why didn't you tell me this before? And I could have helped you select a much better pleasure cra- a motorised yacht, um, because the yacht that we used was really not very suitable for the job. So when I when I was taken down to Causeway Bay Typhoon Shelter to have a look at it, the first thing I said was, "Why have you chosen this 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 particular boat? Because it's not very seaworthy. It doesn't have a radar. What happens if we inter- try and do an interception at night in the complete darkness without a radar?" And they were like, "Well, um, I don't know. It's it's okay, isn't it? It'll do." I said, "Well, it will do, but..." You know, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I could have helped you pick a much better boat. And anyway, I said I asked them to change it, and they said no. There's not enough time. It's taken us forever to get the funding to do this, so we're going to have to use this one. See, you didn't just didn't just take a police boat out there and then just like no. you know arrive on the scene. So so why no. why were you on a pleasure boat? What was the, what was the thinking the, behind? The, well this was the NB plan. This was the plan that was given to me. Whoever put this together decided that a pleasure boat with five expats on board dressed in Hawaiian shirts and cans of beer wouldn't wouldn't raise the alarm on the 
drug smuggling boat. They would think we were just a, a bunch of guys out having some fun. And then in the meantime, I would then maneuver this boat close in and we would sort of wave and shout and say, hi, how are you doing? You know, and then at the last minute, I was then required to sort of bring very, very quickly bring our motorboat alongside um, the yacht and the four INB guys were going to cross over and Rod and Bill were going to overpower um, the crew on board the yacht. So that was the, that was the loose plan. The, the other four uh, NB guys weren't probably experienced or in, in both. Uh, so you were on your own. It was all down to you. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that's, that, that occurred to me. <laughs> so the intercept was all down to Les. And even though he laughs about it now, at the time, he had some serious reservations. What were your main concerns? What, what did you think could go wrong? Uh, a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. Um, firstly, the, the motor cruiser that we'd got was, was not really built for heavy weather. It was, it was a very light boat. And when I looked at the chart and saw where the interception would probably take place, it's right, right on the southern eastern part of Hong Kong waters, which is open to the South China Sea and the Pacific. And having worked in that area for 10 years, I know that the, the waves that come in and the weather comes in from the southeast and you get these huge rollers, these huge waves come in. They don't break, but they, they throw a boat all over the place. And in the previous 10 years, I've been involved in dozens of search and rescue operations of boats in distress, boats like ours that had gone out there and, and got into trouble. And I'm thinking now I'm going to go out there in one of these sort of lightweight boats without a radar. And no one seemed to think that radar was really very important. But at night, in darkness, you actually can't see anything, right? Particularly if the other boat has no light, not showing any light, you can't see it. On with a radar, you can. And I said, where's the radar? Well, I didn't think we needed one. Uh, well, we, we, it would have helped. You know? So we had um, a very unstable boat with no radar. And uh, having been involved in so many search and rescue and seeing other boats get into difficulty in heavy weather, I realized that we, we actually were, uh, we're not, we weren't that well prepared maritime, in a maritime sense. And yet here I was in charge of the maritime aspect of the, the operation in a, in a boat that I, I wouldn't really have chosen. And Les wasn't the only one who had some concerns. One of, the, one of the other problems, I should say, Rod and I had a long conversation about whether we should be armed or not, but we would be in just shorts and T-shirts, you know, and just sort of, um, sort of casual boat wear. There's nowhere really to hide a a gun and plus we didn't really want things to to come to that so rod did have a gun in his holdall which we could get to if we needed it i had taken and concealed a firearm which had a uh, a lock through the trigger it's a, a very simple locking mechanism but with it there it meant that you could not pull the trigger on this firearm you needed to have a key to undo the lock. Now, we hoped we would not need it because if you needed a firearm, it meant that something very urgent was going on. 
and you didn't really want a delay to have to undo a trigger lock to have access to it. So we basically said, well, if it comes to it that we need it, then somebody has to recover it and point it at the bad guys and just shout warnings at them and hope that they didn't realise there was a trigger lock in it. The whole point of the trigger lock was so that if one of the bad guys had discovered the weapon, it couldn't be used against us. Next time on Catching Worms. We stumbled through it, to be honest. And an arrangement for the handover of the bag containing the purported drugs was made. Rod did have a gun in his holder, which we could get to if we needed it. The whole point of the trigger lock was so that if one of the bad guys had discovered the weapon, it couldn't be used against us. Which didn't stop him sort of swinging his right hand, trying to stab me repeatedly. Killing someone, we're there to arrest people, not to, uh, not to drown them. So they're firing at me. I was on the, I was on the flying bridge. This has been a Create podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five star rating. It helps others to find us. You can follow us on Instagram at Catching Worms HK. With special thanks to Rod Mason, author of Operation Clinker, Bill Renwick, and author of Small Band of Men, Les Bird. And thank you for listening. Catching Worms. Jok Chong. This term means to get yourself into trouble, causing unnecessary difficulties. It may seem like an odd phrase, but this slang is often used as an abbreviation of the full saying "jok chong yap si fat," that involves putting said worms up your rear end, which, to anyone's imagination, definitely spells trouble indeed. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.